Gun violence and homicides in Chicago dropped for the second year in a row in 2023, reflecting a national trend. But if you polled Americans, like Gallup did recently, you'd hear a different story. They found that nearly 80% of Americans believe crime in general has increased in the U.S. in the past year. Here in Chicago, crime rates beyond shootings remain high, but one crime in particular bucked the national trend. A spike in the number of robberies, particularly armed robberies in 2023, happened here in Chicago. That's not happening across the rest of the country. Here to make sense of that crime data from the past year and to help us better understand crime prevention strategies is the director of programs at the University of Chicago Crime Lab, Kim Smith. Hey, Kim. Hi. Welcome to Reset. Great to talk with you again. Uh, also with us is Chicago's deputy mayor of community safety, Gary and Gatewood. Great to have you here, deputy mayor. Pleasure to be here, Patrick. Good to see you. Good to see you. So, Deputy Mayor, um, as the Deputy Mayor of Community Safety, what you know, what was going through your head this year as you saw robberies continue to rise? Uh, and when you hear us talk about that sort of being a main takeaway from 2023? Yeah, one of the big things that went through my head was uh, how do we get to the causes of this? How do we work together collaboratively to solve for these issues? How do we make sure our partners in CPD and other agencies have the resources necessary to kind of stem the tide? And you start to see some of those trends going to right direction and there's still a lot of work to be done there kim you know i mentioned in chicago we saw a decrease in homicides and gun violence compared to, to 2023 2022 excuse me it's rare for us to see a rise in other kinds of crime like armed robbery or motor vehicle theft right i mean why would that be the, the case it is rare we usually expect these types of crimes to move together so if one increases the other might increase so the fact that we're seeing this almost you know 20 21 percent increase in robberies relative to 2022 and then as you said the increased in armed robberies robberies where a firearm is present is definitely worrisome but as the deputy mayor said really understanding what is at the root of this trend uh is is key to figuring out how to implement solutions yeah i mean does that make it tricky because because i would assume because since they move in the same direction some of the root causes of things like shootings would be similar to the root causes of something like armed robbery when those are sort of separating from each other how, how do we get at what the root causes what the causes are I think that's where it's really important to get into communities, get into neighborhoods, talk to individuals who might be proximate to those involved in in some of these incidents. Because I I, uh, I have the pleasure of you know looking at a lot of data. There's a lot of data publicly available, but at the end of the day, we really do need to talk to people, uh, and th and that I think that's really the the key to moving forward successfully. And Deputy Mayor, I know that, that you all have had conversations with folks in communities uh, as you were putting together your crime prevention strategy. I want to get to that in just a second, but first I want to, I want to just sort of continue to set the stage here. You know, I talked about national trends and, and where we're fitting in. How does the crime rate, how does the crime problem in Chicago compare to other cities, Kim? So we saw a reduction nationally in murders, which is a great thing. The national average, I think last year was about 12, 13%, which is right where we are in Chicago. So we're, we're kind of, you know, hitting the, the national mark where we do diverge is from big cities like New York and Los Angeles. So in the 90s, all three of those cities, New York, LA, Chicago, had the same homicide rate, but New York and LA reduced theirs by 70, 80% in the past 30 years. And we've uh, been been stubbornly above the, the, the kind of average compared to them. So while we've made progress similarly with New York and LA in the past year, we still have a far way to go to achieve the levels of safety that we see there. Uh, Deputy Mayor, I mean, when you you hear, and I know you already knew this, that, that we're tracking sort of with the national uh, average as far as decrease goes with, when it comes to shootings, does that mean that there's not any particular thing we're doing here that's working? I mean, or do you think Chicago's specific decline in shootings 
can be traced to any, any city policies or city action? Yeah, I think the specific decline can be traced to partnership. Um, you don't get here without a deep partnership um, with community-based organizations, with government organizations, philanthropy, business, all of these players coming together to understand that safety is the number one concern in the city. And I know that there are parts of the city that feel it in a different way, but we really have to dig in. And I think the way you've seen collaboration here is different from what you've seen in other places. I will also say that it's necessary for us to face this head on. Um, I think when you look at some of the decreases that we've seen in other places nationally, we have to own this issue and we have to sit in this issue and work collaboratively together on a regular basis. Now, I know I mentioned, you know, when you all were coming up with your violence and crime prevention plan, you told me, you know, you and I have talked, you said that you guys had a lot of conversations with community members, like like Kim was just talking about. What did you hear from people about why, why these, why these crime levels are elevated in certain parts of the city? Yeah, I mean, we heard a lot of things, Patrick, from different community leaders basically saying they were excited that government was there first and foremost. Right. Um, showing up in places that they haven't seen government show up in quite some time. Mm-hmm. But really understanding that it wasn't just, hey, we're looking at numbers on violence. What are the quality of life issues? How do we address those? How do we work together? People have talked about the spikes in crime, you know, being rooted in the lack of infrastructure, the lack of economic opportunities, the lack of jobs. How do we wrap our arms around that? Not just calling on businesses to provide jobs, but government jobs as well. So how do we really build on this together? collaboration. So we heard a lot from different community members, different community leaders, and we continue to listen to that. Kim, you know, when you and I have talked before, I've talked to other criminologists before as well, uh, when crime goes down, there is, as we talked about, there's this national, uh, there's a national picture. Often we're following trends. There's people talking about regression of means, sort of if the numbers went up, they're going to, they're going to go back down eventually. And it can be hard to say what programs worked or what programs didn't because we throw a lot at, at the problem. Um, have you had any takeaways of, of what Chicago's done or maybe other cities have done that you would say this this worked? We have evidence that th- this crime-fighting strategy worked. Yes, I think one of the most important things to really understand which programs are working uh, and, and where they're working is the presence of research and evaluation. That might sound self-serving coming from the University <laughs> of Chicago Crime Lab, but we can really rely on very rigorous methods to tell us exactly how much certain programs are working for whom and why. So I I think research, the presence of research and evaluation as part of larger violence prevention and community safety plans is really important, not just in Chicago, but around the country so that we can build on that body of evidence and understand how programs might work. And, you know, we have a lot of research and evidence coming from Chicago, programs that we've evaluated at the crime lab, programs that combine mentorship, relentless outreach, summer employment, we know that those programs can work. So to kind of take them to the next level, I think what we've, we should be doing in, in the city is using data to target specific neighborhoods and then even blocks within neighborhoods where we should be focusing those investments. I feel like you're, you're, you're teeing up the, the deputy mayor here. How is the city, let's talk first about the, you know, you said it's not just numbers, but, but, but Gary, how is the city using crime data specifically to target its approach? Yeah, that was a great segue, Kim. (laughs) So uh, I'll tell you what we've done, Patrick. Um, We looked at the top 35 most violent beats in the city um, through Chicago Police Department. We also layered on top of that uh, 50 school closures. And then we took even deeper levels um, where we looked at percentages of folks with high school diplomas, percentages of folks who have primary care physicians, and fatal and non-fatal shootings over the last few sets of years. And from that, we looked at where we saw the spikes in violence. We combined all of those issues in all of those areas 
to look at where we saw spikes and what we started to do as opposed to saying, all right, we're going to attack this entire city. You see that there are certain block groups in the communities that are drivers for violence. So really what it looks like to focus your resources in those areas and doing that in partnership with those community leaders, doing that in partnership with those aldermen and all the women and just doing it in partnership with business research bodies and our partners. Because Kim is right. We need to evaluate the work that we're doing so we can multiply and advance it across the city. Because we know this is not the issues that people are seeing in Little Village are not the same issues they're seeing in Inglewood, are not the same issues they're seeing in Austin, not the same issues they're seeing in West Garfield Park. But what matters is we're actually coming together with those leaders to really dig in deeper on those blog groups with those leaders in those communities. You know, it's interesting you talk about about getting down into to block groups because I think people who think about violence or crime in the city, they will start talking about neighborhoods. And I know that talking to residents in those neighborhoods, they don't they don't appreciate it. If you're a resident of West Garfield Park, you don't love that people are like, oh, yeah, West Garfield Park, that's got a lot of shootings. Or Austin, there's, there's a ton of shootings there. And if you talk to them, they will say anecdotally, it's not everywhere. It is a few few hot spots. Kim, is that what the research tells us as well about what drives violence in the city? Yes, it's not anecdotally. We looked at this data a couple of years ago and what we saw looking at five west side communities, Austin, Humboldt Park, East and West Garfield Park and North Lawndale, is that over a five-year period, just 5% of blocks accounted for over a third of all shootings and homicides. And that was the case over five years, 10 years, 18 months. So it really is the case that a tiny share of blocks account for a disproportionate amount of gun violence. And unfortunately, that's been happening in plain sight. As the deputy mayor said, when you layer over where access to fresh food is the most challenging, access to internet, proximity to public schools and public libraries, it all kind of overlaps in those same areas where those high gun violence blocks are located. So it truly will take a whole of government, whole of city approach to to get um, make some progress. So it sounds like at least conceptually this idea to focus on the blocks fits with, with research. Um, you know, you were just talking about the difficulty in evaluating uh, interventions. Uh, you've got the deputy mayor here. What should the city do? It's throwing, it wants to throw, I mean, we all want to throw as much as we can at this problem. What should the city do so that in a year or in a couple years we can evaluate clear-eyed what worked and what didn't? I think there are a few things. So, and he and I have talked about this before. It won't be the first time he's hearing it. The ability of not just researchers, but the general public to access data is huge. The City of Chicago Violence Reduction Dashboard is a tool that we, the Crime Lab, we built it with the City of Chicago. It makes available for the first time in any major city, almost real-time data about where, when, who is involved in gun violence. And that's important, not just for the ability of researchers to evaluate which programs are effective, but also for nonprofit organizations and other city agencies to be able to target and and really understand where they should be prioritizing their efforts. And then, of course, partnering with research organizations to evaluate investments as they're taking place. And I think really relying on causal inference where possible, um, that is what is able to precisely tell us which investments are impactful. Yeah, it's tough. You know, we're talking about violence. What that means are people's lives. Um, but And so I, I, I feel bad almost pushing us to the sort of the dry area of like, let's try to figure out research. But we need to know what works and what doesn't. Deputy Mayor, this year, Mayor Brandon Johnson's People's Plan for Community Safety will flood four of the city's hardest hit neighbors, neighborhoods with violence. Inglewood, Austin, Little Village and West Garfield Park with resources and investment. Paint us a picture. You know, we've already gotten into it a little bit of the blocks, but paint us a picture. These four areas, what's that going to look like? Yeah, what we hope it looks like is a community-led effort, not hope. What it will look like is a community-led effort. What we've done in each of those areas is we have pillars 
And we have uh, initiative teams under each of those pillars to work with those community leaders to push for quality of life plans, to push for levels of communication and access to government. What's it look like for government to actually show up in these places on a consistent basis? And we want to hold these meetings publicly, right? We want to get to a place where we can hold these meetings publicly and really have a real understanding of what resources are available. We often talk about the workforce allocation study for the Chicago Police Department. We also need a workforce allocation study for community organizations so we can know who has the resources to do what work, how we partner with that, how do we streamline that work across the board, and how do we know who's responsible for what in partnership. This is what we're building. This is where we're going. This is the direction. You talked about workforce allocation uh study for the CPD and for these community groups. Are we going to see those publicly anytime soon? The workforce allocation study for CPD, we are going to start working on that and that will be released publicly. We have to figure out how to do one for community, right? Because we have to be able to build and understand what is there, not just from city resources, not just from county resources, not just from state, but also what does philanthropy bring into the table? Because they're funding a lot of those groups. So how do we have a better understanding of here are the resources that are available for folks in these block groups? This is how we can use them. This is when it can be deployed, and this is how we can work together in partnership. So former Mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration focused on investing investing in 15 what they called priority community areas based on, on violence rates. Uh, does this focus, Mayor Johnson's administration's focus on only four areas, mean that those other neighborhoods are going to lose resources or lose funding here? Absolutely not. Um, we are focusing this approach in these key communities to start, and we want to multiply this across the city. Our work doesn't stop in other parts of the city at all, Patrick. We've also launched a community safety cabinet that looks at different parts of the city every two weeks to really think about how we approach that work. You'll hear more from Chicago Police Department about some of the approaches that they're taking on robbery trends and other trends. So, no, none of that other work stops. We need to build on that. We're not here to reinvent the wheel. We're here to help people. And and looking just at those 15 priority community areas, um, they actually have had – greater reduction in shootings and, and homicides than the city as a whole. Is this a sign that the Lightfoot administration was on the right track? Have you guys taken uh, lessons from them? Um, well, I will say is what we know is working with our partners across the city, we understand that collaboration makes the most sense, and that's the only way we get out of the issues that we're in. Uh, we have to continue to trend in the right direction. We have to get to a place where people feel safe on their blocks, people feel safe in the city, and that's what we're aiming towards. Kim, you and I have talked before. Uh, areas that have the highest level of violence, they often see the bigger decrease. Did something special happen in these 15 priority community areas because we focused on them, or is it kind of just what you would have expected to see based on what we see statistically? It's partially what I might have expected to see. Uh, we saw something similar nationally after the great crime decline in the 90s. The cities that had the highest crime rates uh, increase also had the highest reductions, and and it's, it's absolutely you know, welcome. Uh, when we look at the data by neighborhoods, predominantly uh, black neighborhoods relative to predominantly white neighborhoods, we saw this massive increase in the homicide rate in majority black neighborhoods in 2020 and 2021. So the fact that we're there then seeing reductions in those same neighborhoods is absolutely welcome and something that we should continue to to work on. That being said, there are still massive disparities, unfortunately. Last year, if you were a resident living in a neighborhood with uh, majority uh, black residents, your homicide rate was 20 times that of a similar neighborhood with majority white residents. So Chicago has a history, unfortunately, of racial segregation, structural disinvestment, and we're seeing that also play out in community safety outcomes. Gary, uh, I read in the Sun-Times you said we can invest in young folks and provide opportunities while also holding people accountable. 
I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about what the accountability portion is of community safety in your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So far too often people believe that the mayor um, <laughs> doesn't believe in accountability. The reality of it is, is we need to provide resources and opportunities for young folks and adults alike. And also being in a place where we don't want robberies in this city. We don't want murders in this city. We want to make sure police and other public safety entities have the resources that are necessary to hold folks accountable. But we also want to make sure we've done our part in investing in people to stem the tide of violence that we've seen. So there's a mixture there. We're going to continue to work with our partners in the county. We're going to continue to work with our partners across the state because we do need both accountability and investments, right? The mayor talks about it often. We can do both and. It's not an either or. Because if we don't do both and, we'll be having somebody else will be in the seat having the same conversation with you 10 years from now. Yeah. And if I could add, Please. I think we've seen examples not just from around the country, but also in our recent history in Chicago where we've achieved greater safety not at the expense of mass incarceration or an expansion of the harms of the criminal justice system. So the the conversation that we often have, unfortunately, where these two things are pitted against each other, you can either have reform or you can have reductions in gun violence. That's a false choice. Yeah. We've seen it before in Chicago. We've seen it around the country, and we should work towards doing both. 1,000%. Real quick, last question for you. We're talking about accountability. A lot gets talked about the low arrest rate for homicides in the city. The arrest rate for shootings where someone's not killed is even lower. I think the arrest rate for robberies in 2023 was like 5%. What does CPD do, need to do to, to make more arrests on these violent crimes? Yeah, so CPD is working hard. They're working around the clock. I can promise you that one big thing will be a part of this workforce allocation study, understanding where we deploy our resources, and also understanding that we have consistently asked CPD to do entirely too much. So that's a big part of this community safety plan, having everybody understand the role that we all play in safety so we don't continue to ask the Chicago Police Department to do entirely too much and we can have shared accountability across the board. They'll welcome that with open arms. I can promise you that. Excellent. Unfortunately, we have to stop now. I could talk to you guys for, for the full hour, but I'm not allowed to do that. That was Chicago's Deputy Mayor of Community Safety, Gary and Gatewood, and Kim Smith, the Director of Programs at the University of Chicago Crime Lab. Thanks to you both. Thank you, Thank Patrick. You, Patrick.